Greetings and happy Sabbath. I really enjoyed the special music. He is, very powerful song. He is uh, in Isaiah, the Prince of Peace, and uh, in Revelation, the King of Kings. Very beautiful song. I want to welcome our visitors. <clears throat> and again, happy Sabbath to you all. Will faithful Christians be secretly and unexpectedly raptured to heaven before the great tribulation? Will faithful Christians be secretly and unexpectedly raptured to heaven before the ride of the four horsemen? Well, of course, we know that is not what God has in store for faithful Christians. Faithful Philadelphian Christians will be taken to a real place of protection on this earth. And God's church has taught this uh, for 2,000 years. The church of God has long understood that there will be a real place of safety, a real physical place of protection for end-time Philadelphia. And that place will be on this earth. Let's begin the sermon by turning to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1. Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. We heard a very fine sermonette about the times and the seasons that we live in. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should not or so that this day should overtake you as a thief. So we are not in darkness. The world is in darkness. We are not in darkness. We see the clues. We see the prophetic events unfolding. And we see that it is getting close. As a woman who is laboring, the delivery does not come unexpectedly, does it? It doesn't come unexpectedly. The labor pains begin. And the mother-to-be feels those labor pains. And she is aware that the birth is going to follow. So we are not unaware that Christ's return is coming, that these end-time events are speeding up, and that the Great Tribulation is perhaps a few years, perhaps more, down the road. We see these large events that are aligning. The world will be caught off guard. But you, brethren, do not need to be caught off guard. Let's look at a few prophecies as we begin the sermon. Let's turn back to Isaiah and let's notice how quickly the great tribulation will come upon Jacob and the whole house of Israel. Let's turn back to Isaiah, very familiar scripture, Isaiah chapter 30, Isaiah 30 and verse 13.
Isaiah 30 and verse 13. I'll begin in verse 12. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise uh, this word and trust in oppression and perversity and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach ready to fall, a bulge in a high wall whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. And we will expound on a few prophecies. I don't have time to expound a lot on this one, but this prophecy is regarding end-time Israel, the house of Israel. And the end physically will come suddenly on end-time Israel, like a breach in a wall, a large wall that's ready to fall, and the pressure builds, and then the wall falls. And when it falls, those bricks and stones come crumbling down. And if you're not aware and you were under that wall, you'll be crushed by that wall. Let's turn to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 5, Ezekiel 5. This is another prophecy that has not yet come to pass. And these prophecies here in Ezekiel 5 give us some insight into how terrible the great tribulation will be upon the house of Israel and upon the whole world. And again, brethren, is our hope to be secretly raptured away before these events? Well, we know that's not the case. That's not what God's church has ever taught. That's not what the Bible teaches. And we can be very thankful that God has revealed to his church that there is a promise of physical protection for the Philadelphian remnant at the end of the age. Let's notice here in Ezekiel chapter 5 and verse 11. Ezekiel 5:11 Thus says I'm sorry Ezekiel 5:11 Therefore as I live says the Lord God surely because you have defiled my sanctuary you know the the end time descendants of of Jacob have have not kept God's laws have not practiced godly religion uh, you've defiled my sh- sanctuary with uh, detestable things And with all your abominations, therefore, I will diminish you. My eye will not spare, nor will I have any pity. And this is a classic prophecy that you've most likely heard before. And it goes into the one-third, one-third, one-third. One-third of you shall die of pestilence and be consumed with famine in your midst. One-third shall fall by the sword all around you. And I will scatter another third to the winds. But notice, I will draw out a sword after them. This gives some insight into how terrible the end time great tribulation will be on the house of Israel. One third by pestilence, one third by war, one third into captivity. But the sword will be drawn out against the third that go into captivity. So if there are 300 million citizens, which there are more, in the United States right now, and the United States is primarily modern Manasseh, how many would survive? Would it be one-third? One-third of 300 million is, you know, 100 million? Well, no. 
Because the sword goes after to the third that is taken into captivity. And we won't turn there, but you can cross-reference to Isaiah 6.13, which indicates that only a tithe will remain of those who are taken into captivity. This is a cataclysmic event that is coming upon the earth, the Great Tribulation. Do we have hope to escape it? If we do have hope, and if God promises a place of protection, then what are the conditions, what are the criteria, what are the characteristics that God is looking for in us to be worthy to escape it? And more importantly, what are the criteria, what are the characteristics, what are the conditions that God is looking for us to display to be worthy to be first fruits in God's kingdom, to be resurrected at that seventh trump, to have Christ say, well done, good and faithful servant, to rule for a thousand years in the millennium under Christ, and then to rule for the rest of eternity under God the Father and Christ forever. The title of the sermon today is Directions to the Place of Safety. Directions to the Place of Safety, but we're going to use the secondary definition of the word direction. You know, as you know, directions can mean the directions you follow on a map. If I give someone directions to my home that I say, you know, go, go a few miles and turn left on Main Street, those are directions. But directions can also mean instructions, can't they? We give directions to our children. We ask them to follow our instructions. And so the title of the sermon is Directions to the Place of Safety. We'll talk about some of the characteristics that God expects us to be developing in order for us to be there. We will attempt to remind ourselves and prove again that there is a promise of safety for God's Philadelphian remnant at the end of the age. That is a truth. It's not the most fundamental truth uh, in God's church, but it is a truth. And Mr. Armstrong taught it and Dr. Meredith teaches it. And I have a number of quotes, but people have dismissed it for the for a number of decades not in the living church of God that I'm aware of, but many who have left, many who have left, have dismissed it. And they've said things like, well, God can protect you in your home. Well, God can protect you in your home, but that's not what the Bible says he'll do. Or they said, well, God can protect you in, you know, East Texas or Salt Lake City. That's not what the Bible says. You know, the... Old Testament is full of prophecies regarding the Great Tribulation. Let's turn to another one, Hosea, Hosea, chapter 5, Hosea, chapter 5. And I'm going to these Old Testament prophecies for a reason. The apostles were very familiar with these, and they asked our Lord Jesus Christ about these. So we're going to look at one more prophecy that the apostles were familiar with as well, and we should be familiar with, before we get into the body of the sermon. Hosea chapter 5, another warning to end time Israel. This is the entire house of Jacob. I'd like to expound on this prophecy a little bit more. I'll need to move quickly, though. Hosea 5 verse 1, hear this, O priests, take heed, O house of Israel. So, Here God is issuing a warning to the religious 
leadership as well as the entire house, the government, the, the entire civil, uh, civil society, and the entire house of Israel. This is all tribes, not just Judah, not just Manasseh, as you'll see. Give ear, O house of the king, for yours is the judgment, because you have been a snare to Mizpah and, and a net spread on Tabar. So God is calling our attention to the fact that Israel has and continues to even cause other nations to transgress. Verse 2, the revolters are deeply involved in slaughter, though I rebuke them all. I know Ephraim. Now, God, when he is, God is very precise when he, when he gives these prophecies. And when God uses precise language here, he does it for a reason. It's to draw our attention to something. I know Ephraim. Well, who is Ephraim? Ephraim is primarily Britain and the British-descended nations, as we know. I know Ephraim. And Israel is not hidden from me. Who is Israel? Well, of course, we know this would be the whole house. So Gad, Zebulun, Reuben. The whole house of Israel, largely north and northwestern Europe. For, for now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel is defiled. So the whole house, and that would include Manasseh, that would include the United States. They do not direct their deeds turning toward, uh, toward turning to their God, for the spirit of harlotry is in their midst. Now, the spirit of harlotry, this is spiritual religious fornication. And we see that, don't we? You know, atheism is on the rise. We see, you know, pagan religion practiced and claimed to be Christianity. A form of Christianity that Christ would not recognize as being Christian. You know, Christ did not get up in the morning for Easter sunrise services. Christ did not take out little Easter eggs and hide them for the little kids to find. Christ did not, you know, teach his church to keep Sunday. So continuing, they do not direct their deeds toward uh, turning to their God for the spirit of harlotry is in their midst. And they do not know the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Therefore, notice, brethren, Israel... And Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. This prophecy is a future prophecy, as I'm sure you understand. This prophecy did not happen, did not, was not fulfilled a couple thousand years ago, 2,500 or so plus, when uh, Judah and Israel, when the northern and southern kingdoms went into captivity hundreds of years apart. Notice here, they stumble together, the whole house of Israel and Judah. Now, where, where is Judah today, mostly? Well, mostly in the Middle East, the Holy Land, the land of Israel. They stumble together with their flocks and their herds. They shall go to seek the Lord, but they shall not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them, a prophecy that will unfold in the years ahead and the house of Israel will be humbled there will be a great multitude that will come out of that house of Israel out of that great tribulation they will go to seek God 
They will not find God. There will be a famine of the word. You have the two witnesses. You have Laodicea left behind. But it will be late. It will be late. He has withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt treacherously with the Lord. They begot pagan children. Now a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. An allusion most likely to a collapse of the house of Israel in a brief period, possibly a 30-day period, the culmination of the ride of the four horsemen and a collapse of modern Israel, that house. It will be a terrible, great tribulation. God has promised protection for His church. What are the conditions required? What are the signs we can look for? What does God expect of us? Let's turn to Matthew 24. The apostles were, as I mentioned earlier, familiar with these prophecies. And they, of course, asked Jesus Christ about the end of the age. Matthew 24, we have the Olivet Prophecy. And, of course, again, the apostles were curious. Here they were the disciples still, but they were curious. Well, what are the signs of your coming, of your return and the end of the age? Matthew 24, verse 3. And we'll begin to ask and hopefully answer through the course of the sermon some questions. The first question that we'll ask is, is there a place of safety for God's church? Is there a real place of safety? Is there a real physical place of protection on this earth for God's Philadelphian remnant? Well, the answer is yes, and we'll prove that as we go through the sermon. Matthew 24, verse 3. We'll then have to move fairly quickly, and hopefully you're familiar with this prophecy. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered in verse 4 and said, Take heed that no one deceives you. And so we'll have to skim this, but we know he discusses uh, wars and rumors of wars and nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom and pestilence. Verse 8, these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10. And then many will be offended and betray one another. And then verse 11, there will be false prophets. Verse 13, he who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 14, the gospel must be preached as a witness to the whole world. You see, our commission is to keep powerfully preaching the gospel with all the power God will give us. Even as we see these events unfold, why do we do this, brethren? Well, we're commanded to. Why else do we do this? It's the heart of a Philadelphian, brethren. It's the heart of a Philadelphian. A Philadelphian sees the open door and goes through it. A Philadelphian lays down his life for his brothers and sisters, for his neighbor. You know, to to withhold the warning, to withhold proclaiming the good news of the coming kingdom of God in Christ's return, that would be very selfish, wouldn't it? 
Wouldn't that be selfish? To understand these prophecies, to know what is coming, that the sword is coming, that a third and a third and a third and the sword will go after the final third. Wouldn't it be very selfish to not give our hearts and our prayers and our energies to proclaiming that there is hope for the world, to warning that the sword is coming? I've meditated on that more the last few years because, frankly, I've been frustrated sometimes as a minister when I will encounter people in various states where I've served that knew the truth, had the truth, hold on to the truth, but it's them and their uncle, or it's them and their brother, or it's just them, and they keep the Sabbath, kind of, they take the magazine, but they're not part of the work. They're not part of the work. And it's frustrated me occasionally as a minister. You love these people. And I worry, you know, am I talking to someone who's heading toward being numbered among that great multitude that will have their robes washed in blood? that will come out of the great tribulation. You know, the heart of a Philadelphian brethren is to give of our prayers and our energy and our tithes to preach the good news, to warn the world, to be zealous about the truth, to share it, to not be ashamed of it, to be on fire for it. To not do that is to be selfish. It's not just to be lukewarm. It's to be selfish, to see your neighbors, your country, heading towards slaughter, and to not be part of the work warning them and also giving them hope. Something to think about. Continuing in the all of that prophecy, Jesus Christ continues in verse 19. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And notice verse 20, what does Jesus Christ tell the apostles? Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. Not a little tribulation. We saw and read some of the scriptures, didn't we, brethren? Devastating, devastating, a great tribulation. But notice what Christ said in verse 30, pray your flight, flight to where, flight to where. He's referencing the place of safety, the physical place of protection that God will provide for his church at the end of the age at the right time. At the right time. The living church of God continues to teach what Mr. Armstrong taught, what all of God's faithful ministers have taught. A brief quote from one of Dr. Meredith's telecasts. This telecast is titled Secret Rapture or Place of Safety. What does he say? Quote, the Bible does clearly explain that there will be a place of safety for the true saints of God. End quote. Another quote from the same telecast. There is a real place of safety which God promises 
on this earth. Later in the same program, Dr. Meredith comments, quote, The Bible does clearly explain that there will be a place of safety during the Great Tribulation. Notice when. During the Great Tribulation. Very precise when God's church will be taken to that place of protection. We'll discuss that in a moment. Continuing his quote, The true saints of God, those who are part of the true church of God, the little flock that keeps God's commandments, that has Christ living in them through the Holy Spirit, the same kind of life he did live 1,900 years ago, an obedient life, they will be taken to a place of safety, and that place will be on this earth. Again, from Dr. Meredith's telecast, Secret Rapture or Place of Safety. Let's turn to another prophecy about a flight to the place of safety. Jesus Christ mentioned in the Olivet Prophecy that your flight would be to a place where you would be protected. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. A very important prophecy that reviews three flights to a physical place of protection. When this prophecy was given by Christ to John, one of these prophecies, one of these flights had already taken place, and two were future. Today, two of these flights have taken place. One is future. Let's notice in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12. And there's a reason we're going to this prophecy, because we're establishing a pattern. How does God protect His church when God needs to remove His church from the beast, from Satan, from the dragon. Revelation 12, verse 1. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Here we have the church in the wilderness the house of Israel. Christ is coming as a baby, and he's going to establish the New Testament church. The house of Israel is giving birth to the Messiah. And another sign appeared in heaven, verse 3. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Satan's rebellion. And the dragon stood before the woman. So Satan's rebellion, then jumping ahead, most likely millions of years. And he stands before the woman who is going to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. What is this talking about? We know that Herod was inspired by Satan, demonically inspired, to issue a decree to kill all of the young infant boys under two years of age. Satan attempted to devour Christ, the baby, as he was born or after he was born. What did God do? How did God protect the nascent 
church at that point. You know, it was Jesus as a young lad, a young baby. Well, we know that Jesus with his family went where? To, were they raptured to heaven? Where'd they go? They went to Egypt. They were taken to a place of protection on this earth. Now, Egypt is not the end time place of safety. But notice that they went to a place of protection on this earth. That was the first flight to a place of protection. Now we move ahead. We move ahead a few centuries. Let's notice here in verse 6. Then the woman, the church, the New Testament church, fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. 1,260 years. What does this refer to? Well, we know. We know. First, I'd like to point out that, again, the, the church fled to a place in the wilderness, not in heaven, in the Eremos. E-R-E-M-O-S. Eremos, wilderness. What does that Greek word mean? It means a rocky, desolate, barren place. A harsh environment. It's not heaven. It's a desolate, rocky, barren place. So the church fled to the wilderness where it was protected for 1290 years. We know looking back at history and of course Mr. Armstrong and actually Dr. Hay uh, wrote about this in uh, the true history of God's true church that from uh, the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD to 1585 where the church had to be physically protected. You then had an interesting another 1290 years. You had Justinian's revival of the Holy Roman Empire to Napoleon's defeat in 1814. 554 to 1814 was another span of 1290 years where the beast reigned, which is what Mr. Armstrong mentioned in the booklet, The Mark of the Beast. So here you have another flight to physical protection and God's church was protected where? In the wilderness, it began migrating from around Jerusalem up through around the Black Sea into southern and eastern Europe. And then you have these names that start to appear in the 1500s and 1600s. You have the Cathars and the Waldensians. And the church comes out of hiding and with the end of the 1290 years that the beast reigned from Justinian's revival to Napoleon's defeat, at the end of that period, you have the church of God start to surface. And the church of God history becomes a lot easier to trace from there forward. And you can read, of course, Mr. O'Gwen's booklet uh, for more on that. So we have a second flight to protection on the earth. Now we move yet forward in time to a future prophecy. Verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. 
but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. And this is a future prophecy. Satan, the great dragon, verse 9, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was or will be cast down to the earth and his angels will be cast down with him. A frightful time, brethren. A frightful time. Most of us will most likely live to see this time. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven. Verse 10, saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb. True repentance. Baptism. True repentance. Christ living in us. And... By the word of their testimony. The word of God, the Bible. God's word, the truth. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. He knows he has a short time. Now, I'd like to skip verse 13. We'll come back to it. Move to verse 14. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness a third time. Not to heaven, to the Eremos, the wilderness. The first instance, Egypt. The second instance, migrating up through Europe. Through the harsh, rocky areas in the Alps. The third instance, to the Eremos where she will be nourished for three and a half years. Three and a half years. The exact time span of the Great Tribulation, the fifth seal to the return of Christ. Not the first seal, the fifth seal to the return of Christ. Now back to verse 13. Back to verse 13. So Satan is cast down to the earth, and he persecutes the church. He persecutes the woman. They did not love their life to the death. He persecutes the church. Then, verse 14, the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. You see, something happens here. We have the first four seals, then the fifth seal, which begins the Great Tribulation, the place of safety, Begins with the fifth seal, abomination of desolation. There's a persecution first, then there is war. First persecution, then war. Notice verse 17. After the church, the Philadelphians are removed to a place of protection to be nourished for three and a half years. Verse 17. The dragon was then enraged with the woman and went to make is it persecution there, brethren? War. See, first persecution, then war. With the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments and have the testimony. I need to read this, not quote, not quote it from memory. Uh, keep the, the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
Well, there's, a, there's, there's a difference then, isn't there, between those who go and those who don't go to the place of safety. Do you keep the commandments? Do you have the testimony of Jesus Christ? Are there thousands of other brothers and sisters that we have that don't associate with us that keep the commandments and have the testimony of Christ? There are. There must be some different characteristics that God is looking for. Notice, brethren, in Daniel chapter 7, we're going to speed up. Daniel chapter 7, we're going to start gaining some insight into why there's this separation that happens within the greater body. Why is there a separation? There's persecution upon the whole church. Then there are some who are removed to a place of protection, and there are some who are not. The Bible is very clear about that. So let's start to discover and remind ourselves why, and then we'll be able to understand what God is looking for in us to be worthy, brethren. Daniel chapter 7. There are three places in the King James Version of the Bible where the expression times, time, times, time, sorry, time, times, and half a time is used. Three places. And those places are Daniel 12, 14, I'm sorry, Revelation 12, 14, which we just read. Daniel 12, 7. And Daniel 7, 25. Let's notice here in Daniel 7, verse 24, one of those three instances where time, times, and half a time is used. And let's start to understand and let God explain to us and make it clear why some who keep the commandments and have the testimony go and some who keep the commandments and have the testimony do not. You see, I could turn to Revelation 3.10, right? I'm not going to turn to Revelation 3.10. We know Revelation 3.10. Let's, let's turn elsewhere and let's allow God to... Explain this to us through Scripture. Daniel 7, verse 24. The ten horns are ten kings who shall rise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. Notice again, brethren, the pattern. First persecution, then war. Verse 25, shall persecute the saints of the Most High. And your Bible may have the phrase, wear out. Mr. Millich gave a fantastic sermon a couple years ago asking, what will wear out God's saints? First, there's an intensification of persecution. And shall intend to change times and law. Then, brethren, then. It's the same pattern we saw in Revelation 12. First, Satan makes war in heaven. He's cast down. He persecutes. Then, God's Philadelphian remnant goes to a place of protection. And then, Satan is enraged and makes war with the remnant. Notice, then, verse 25, the saints shall be, this is very different, given into his hand. That's frightening, brethren. For how long? A time, times, and half a time. Given into his hand. 
Speaking of physical Israel, a third by pestilence, a third by, uh, by the sword, a third go into captivity, and the sword is drawn after them. When that great prince Michael is no longer able, is no longer allowed to withstand Satan. And here we have the spiritual house of Israel, same pattern. First persecution, then given into his hand. Why? Why is that? Daniel 12, verse 9. Daniel 12, verse 9. Why are some protected? Why are some not? Why must some be given into Satan's hand? Daniel 12, verse 9. You know, the directions to the place of safety are spiritual directions, brethren. The spiritual directions are what we need to care about. Another aside, people have commented sometimes, they said, we talk about Petra, everybody knows it's Petra. Now, I'm not officially saying it's Petra, the indications are it is, uh, but we'll let Dr. Meredith and Mr. Ames uh, reveal that if God reveals it to them clearly. But the indications are it is, and as Mr. Armstrong said, it, that, you know, if there's a clue, that's the clue. And I've had people comment to me, well, everybody knows it's Petra, so, you know, what's the secret? It's, it's a very, that, that question shows a lack of understanding what will be happening on the world scene at that time. You know, if you buy your ticket now, it, 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 people don't, you know, you understand what, what's going to be happening prophetically at that time. You know, U.S. Airways not going to fly you there at the 1290 days. So, Daniel chapter, so there's spiritual directions. Daniel chapter 12, verse 9. Why are some protected and some are not? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And here's the beginning of the answer Many shall be purified, made white, and refined. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But the wise shall understand. Are we wise, brethren? If we are, will we refine ourselves now? Or must God refine us by putting us in Satan's hand? The great multitude comes out of the tribulation washed in blood. That's how they're refined. Must we be refined that way? The clue, or a big clue, is refinement. What is our spiritual character? Are we true Philadelphians? Have we really crucified our desires, our negative attitudes, do we really live as bond servants, doulos, as you know, slaves to Christ? Are all of our thoughts in captivity to Christ? Or must we be refined, given into Satan's hand? Why are some protected and some are not? Because God's a loving God. Because God told the Laodiceans, 
You know, I counsel you, buy gold refined in fire. He warned them. He counsels us. You know, let's not just assume, brethren, that because we're in God's church, we keep the Sabbath, we're excited about the feast, that we've got it made, that we're going to be in the place of safety. I hear that as well. Let's not just assume that. Let's judge ourselves. We're going to go through some areas where we can judge ourselves. You know, Mr. Armstrong warned the church many times about not being lackadaisical, not just assuming we're going to make it. You know, we, we feel sometimes, well, we've been through the apostasy and, and we're, we're enduring and we're, we're thankful to be part of the living church of God that is blessed and God is opening up doors for us and we have the right form of government and we do practice outgoing love towards each other and towards other groups. You know, and we, we think, well, we're doing pretty good. Uh, we'll be there. Let's notice what Mr. Armstrong warned the church years ago. It's a caution for us as well. 1968 Dear Brethren letter, Mr. Armstrong's words, written, of course, very powerfully. I think it's a good reminder for us. He writes, quote, Apparently many are carelessly supposing they are now sure of being protected through the Great Tribulation. Whether it be Petra or another place, many feel carelessly secure, and after that entering God's kingdom with eternal life. But you don't have it made. You are still being tried to determine whether you shall have this protection, whether you shall enter the kingdom of God. It is those who are led by the Spirit of God, not those who are led by desire for more and more physical and material things. So hundreds of you are slacking off in your responsibilities to God's work. Of course, Mr. Armstrong would write very powerfully, wouldn't he? It's a warning for, for me. It's a warning for all of us, isn't it, brethren? We don't need to remind ourselves how many of those whom we love have fallen away, who carelessly assumed. Let's be on guard. So, the next question what are the characteristics of those whom God will protect? What are the characteristics of those whom God sees worthy to protect during the Great Tribulation? Let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 33. A very important, very pivotal prophecy regarding the end of this age, the day of the Lord, Christ's return. Isaiah chapter 33. Very important prophecy. Let's notice in verse 14. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. And now there's a, it's a rhetorical question. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? You know, who has the character who is able to withstand, who is able to dwell, live through the, it's really the, um, the, the, the uh, second death, the lake of fire. That's, that's the question. Who has that character? Well, only those who are converted, only those who have become spirit beings. Who can dwell with everlasting fire? 
you know, looking forward to what will come? Well, the answer is only those who God has judged as being or Christ has judged as being worthy first fruits. So now we come down to verse 15 and we move back in time. He who walks righteously, and this is a prophecy that alludes to the place of safety, but it gives characteristics of those who God counts worthy of having the right spiritual character to become first fruits. Those who he counts worthy to become first fruits, he also counts worthy to go to a physical place of protection. He who walks righteously speaks uprightly. He who despises the gain of oppression who gestures with his hands refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. He will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. He will dwell in the heights. His place of defense will be the stronghold of Selah or the stronghold of Petra. There are some characteristics given here. I'd like to bring out just a few. First, walks righteously. Walks in God's law. Keeps the Sabbath holy. Keeps the Ten Commandments physically and spiritually. Doesn't commit adultery, doesn't lust. Doesn't covet, doesn't steal. He who walks righteously. He who speaks uprightly. Psalm 19:14. Let the meditations of my heart be acceptable. I'm sorry, let the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O my Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Are the meditations of our heart and the words of our mouth acceptable in God's sight, our Lord, our strength and our redeemer? Or do we gossip? Do we murmur? Do we tear down? Do we talk evil of others? He who gestures with his hands refusing bribes despises the gain of oppression. You know, we have a system now in modern, uh, modern capitalism which is really, really run amok. And we have a system where the downtrodden you know, the, the gap between wealthy and, and uh, the poor is, is, is gaining. I read a report recently where it's three times, there's three times worse of a gap uh, between the, the upper, you know, the highest classes and the lowest classes. Three times worse than it was in the 50s. Three times worse. Do we, you know, ever, are we guilty of that? Are we not generous? Do we withhold our offerings? Do we, you know, not pay a fair, a fair wage? He who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. Do we shun evil? How is this verse, how is this warning manifest today? Let's ask ourselves a question. You know, I thank God I don't live in Syria right now. So I don't look out the window and see people getting slaughtered in front of me. I thank God for that and I pray for those people in Syria. It's, it's horrible right now. So thank God that we still live in a nation where I don't look out the window and see mass murder. 
I don't look out the window and see, you know, adultery and fornication and rape. How could this prophecy apply to us today? Who stops his ears from hearing bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. How could this prophecy apply to us today in America? He will dwell on high. His place of a defense will be the fortress of rocks. I caution all of us, brethren. Do we take seriously these warnings? Do we shun, whether it's movies, video games, television shows, books, where bloodshed and evil and sorcery and murder is the focus and the meditation? If I spend an hour watching murder, how am I obeying Philippians 4.8, which tells me to meditate on things which are noble and pure and good? If I spend two hours watching murder, how am I obeying Philippians 4.8, which tells me to meditate on things which are noble and pure and good? If I spend six or seven hours playing graphic, violent video games, how am I not violating Isaiah 33, verse 15? Well, it's just entertainment. Either the prophecy applies or it doesn't. You know, the Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary has the following quote. The senses are avenues for the entrance of sin. The senses are avenues for the entrance of sin. That is true. We're warned throughout the Bible, brethren, to guard our minds. You know, God hates, hates wizardry, sorcery, witchcraft, demonism. He hates it. Let's turn back to Leviticus 19. He calls it a defilement. Leviticus 19. Verse 31, Leviticus 19, verse 31. Some say, well, it's just entertainment. Leviticus 19, verse 31. You know, it was also entertaining and exciting to the ancient pagan nations, wasn't it? See, they didn't have movies. They didn't have flat screen TVs. But they sought their excitement as well. What did God call it? Let's just allow God to do the speaking here. Leviticus 19, verse 31. Give no regard, no regard, no regard. I'm not going to go spend two hours watching it. I'm not going to pay to watch it. I'm not going to purchase it and read it. I'm not going to play it on my computer. Give no regard, Leviticus 19, verse 31, to mediums, familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord, your God. Revelation 21, 8 reveals and reminds us that adulterers and murderers and sorcerers will be thrown into the lake of fire. Let us guard our minds, brethren. 
You know, we can claim this promise that there is a place of protection. We write about it. We speak about it regularly in God's church. I have another couple quotes. Dr. Meredith in a uh, sermon on uh, servant leadership, April 12, 2008, mentions the place of safety, mentions it might be Petra. Mr. McNair gave an excellent sermon uh, titled Faith and the Place of Safety. That's number 573 in the local library. Mr. Ames wrote about it recently in uh, the Tomorrow's World magazine. July, August 2012, Tomorrow's World article titled 2012 in the Apocalypse. Mr. Ames writes, quote, God promises protection for his spiritually alert people in the dangerous times ahead. God's most faithful people will be taken to a, pla- a safe place in the wilderness for three and a half times, dash three and a half years. And the beast power will continue for these 30, these 42 months. It's a promise that we We want to be able to claim, brethren. But do we have the characteristics that God will count worthy to be there? Dr. Meredith wrote about that in the March-April 2012 LCN. March-April 2012 Living Church News. Article titled, Christian Meditation. He writes the following. Television, for instance, is always there with programming that can be absolutely damnable. So Dr. Meredith, that's his word, damnable. Didn't say a little bit, maybe not so good. Damnable. Murder, violence, implicit and sometimes explicit fornication, filth and rottenness of every possible description. Most people cannot or do not control it. It runs our minds and can ruin our minds. Of course, movies can do the same thing, as can video games and the Internet. And they can. And it's a caution to each of us and you parents. Watch what your kids read and play and do. I am familiar with the video games that are out there. And I wrote down a number of titles, and I'm not going to give them uh, so that we you know, don't get in trouble <laughs> for mentioning certain titles. But there are video games out there that are so violent and disgusting, I think it would shock you. I won't even describe what the, 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 the plots are and how graphic they are. And they are the top-selling games. You know, I'm not some old guy, grew up in the woods, doesn't know about computers, you know, doesn't own a TV, and I'm just making this up. The top-selling video games are graphically violent and graphically sexually violent. And I'll let you fill in how. And satanically graphically sexually violent. It also applies to most of the very popular television shows. You know, reenacting murder, meditating on that. How does that... How does that gel with Isaiah 33:15 or Philippians 4:8 Now for the fun part of the sermon What are some clues as to where the place of safety may be Now there are a lot of scriptures a lot I'm going to give you a number of scriptures from Isaiah and a couple from Jeremiah 
What are some clues as to where the place of safety may be? But I'd like to remind us before I get into this list that the directions to the place of safety are spiritual directions. And the directions to the place of safety are not only directions that will show God that we are worthy to escape being put into Satan's hand, but will show God that we are worthy to have the, we have a type of character and we are worthy to be changed in a moment and the twinkling of an eye to dwell amongst the devouring fire, to live eternally, forever, as part of the Godhead. Forever. Isaiah 33:15. They're spiritual directions. Let's turn back to verse to chapter 16 of Isaiah. You know, we all are all familiar with Revelation 3:10, that the Philadelphians are taken to a place of safety. And we're probably familiar with Revelation 12 and 13, which I read where Satan comes down to persecute the church and then the church flees and then Satan makes war with the remnant. And those are important prophecies. But there are other clues as to where the place of safety may be. Isaiah chapter 16. It's important to remember uh, who Moab is. <clears throat> Moab is has primarily settled around Jordan. And this is a fascinating study, by the way. What will happen to the area of Jordan uh, before and through the time of the Great Tribulation? It's a very fascinating study. Now, there will be an element of protection in that area uh, at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. And the appearance is that God will remove some of that protection in that area as the Tribulation progresses. So... Jordan is largely Moabite country. Isaiah 16, verse 1. Here's a yet future prophecy. Send the lamb to the ruler of the land from Petra to the wilderness. Now, your New King James probably says Selah, which can be translated Petra. For it shall be as a wandering bird thrown out of the nest. So shall be the daughters of Moab at the fords of the Arnon. Take counsel, execute judgment. God is giving counsel to the Moabites. He's inspiring the Moabites. He's giving them instruction here. Make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. Hide the outcasts. Do not betray him who escapes. Let my outcasts dwell with you, O Moab. It's not Big Sandy. It's not Salt Lake City. It's not in your home. It's a place where God will place his name and his protection. And his shadow will, or I'm sorry, their shadow will cover them. But let's continue. Let my outcast dwell with you, O Moab, be a shelter to them from the face of the devastator, the destroyer, the one who will be unleashed. For the extortioner is at an end and devastation ceases and so forth. Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. Now, I think the song that um, we heard for special music, I think the quote was, 
Uh, in Isaiah, he is the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah, he is the Prince of Peace. And Isaiah is a fantastic uh, book, and Christ is our Prince of Peace. And we'll have peace, brethren, when he is sheltering us in the place of safety in Moabite country. Isaiah 26, verse 20. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. Speaking of that time of God's great wrath. And we don't have time for the whole uh, song of salvation, uh, which Isaiah chapter 26 and, uh, re- begins. But it talks about God's people going into chambers, going into caves, going into a defensive place. Isaiah 33, we were already there. Verses 10 through 16 talk about dwelling in the rocks. Dwelling in the rocks. We won't turn, for sake of time, to Isaiah 42, verses 11 through 13. Isaiah 42, verses 11 through 13. Read the whole chapter. Another prophecy about Israel, I'm sorry, about Moab and the end time and the day of the Lord and protection in that area. I would like to turn to Isaiah 65. Let's turn to Isaiah 65. Verse 13, Isaiah 65, verse 13, you know, it's a uh, it's a touching prophecy. It's it's a sobering prophecy. Isaiah 65, verse 13, you know, promise for God's servants, a warning for those who take that, you know, the, the gospel lightly. Who those who reject God and His law. A third will die by pestilence. A third will die by the sword. A third will be taken captive. Maybe 10% will survive. A prophecy about that time. Isaiah 65, verse 13. You know, God's a loving God. He doesn't just love us. He loves all of His creation. And he prophesies here, Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. My servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. My servants shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. My servants shall sing for joy of heart, but you shall cry for sorrow of heart. And wail for grief of spirit. You shall leave your name as a curse to my chosen, for the Lord God will slay you and call his servants by another name. Speaking of the day of the Lord. But you see, there are some servants of God that will be protected and fed and nourished and will rejoice, will be under God's wing. So that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. Because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my eyes. For behold, I create 
new heavens and new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor shall come to mind, moving forward in God's plan to the end of the thousand-year millennium, when there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Jeremiah 48, Jeremiah 48, verse 28. Again, Jeremiah 48, verse 28. Very clearly, brethren, you who dwell in Moab, leave the rocks and dwell in, leave the cities and dwell in the rock. I find this interesting. You who dwell in Moab, you Moabites that I talked to in Isaiah 16, that I inspired in Isaiah 16, that lived in the cities in Isaiah 16, Jeremiah 48, 28. Leave those cities and dwell in the rock. And be like the dove which makes her nest in the sides of the cave's mouth. And God talks about his wrath, Moab's pride. The indications, as Mr. Armstrong said, if there is an indication, the indication is... The wilderness, rocky area where the Moabites live, called by the name Petra. You can also notice briefly, let's turn uh, across the page to verse 40, Isaiah 48, 40. For thus says the Lord, behold, one shall fly like an eagle and spread his wings over Moab. When is, that, when is this prophecy? Is, it, is, it, is this a prophecy that was fulfilled? You know, a thousand years ago, three thousand years ago. No, read verse 44. He who flees from the fear shall fall into the pit. He who gets out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For upon Moab, upon it, I will bring the year of their punishment, says the Lord. The day of the Lord. You know, the directions to the place of safety are spiritual directions. It's the character that God wants us to build. As Mr. John O'Gwen wrote about the details of where it might be in his LCN article from July uh, 2001, he wrote, while the details of how and where God will protect his people are fascinating, we must all keep in mind that in the ultimate sense, our protection does not come from any place. It comes from God. And that's very true. That's very true. And Mr. O'Gwen, of course, wrote in detail about, you know, the place of safety and understood where, that there is a physical place of safety as well. He wasn't saying there wasn't. The details are fascinating, but our protection comes from God. So, brethren, is there a real place of safety for God's true church? Yes. Is that what we teach? Is that what Dr. Meredith and Mr. Ames and Rod McNair and God's servants have taught for 2,000 years? Absolutely. Does all of God's church go? No. Why? Refinement. Is there persecution before the fifth seal? Yes. Does it get worse after the fifth seal? Yes. Where are some clues as to where it may be? In the rocks where the Moabites live. So, brethren, let us live righteously. Let us live faithfully, humbly, and remember... That our loving God, the Prince of Peace, He has in store for us great things. A wonderful world tomorrow, tomorrow's world. And even protection during the day and during the time of Satan's wrath. 